0: Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz.
1: Each day, we bring you the most noteworthy and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor.
0: Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at Bloomberg.com. Lisa, let's bring in a good friend, Carl Riccadoni. He's a chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. Carl, you listen to Chairman Jay Powell. You know, what do you take from the Fed's actions this morning?
2: Well, the Fed's actions, which we expected uh, them to uh, come in with some uh, additional measures to support Main Street, but uh, this uh, did go beyond uh, uh, those expectations. The Fed is really showing, uh, to to use Mario Draghi's uh, words, uh, that they're doing whatever it takes. So those who thought the Fed may be running low on ammunition uh, prior to this crisis are getting a a very rude uh, and welcome uh, uh, awakening, I should say, Uh, as we see them really pulling out all the stops showing tremendous dynamism and creativity and also aggressiveness in terms of providing support to uh, financial markets really across the spectrum
1: there's some concern uh, just going forward about the political ramifications for the federal reserve as they choose which bonds to buy and backstop and which not to What's sort of the precedent when it comes to the Fed's role in this capacity and the fallout afterwards?
2: Well, there's, there's really no precedent for what we're seeing the Fed doing uh, at the moment. Uh, the Fed tries to just step into general markets and not pick winners and losers. So they won't be saying, we'll buy company X and, uh, uh, and uh, skip company Y. Uh, instead, they'll uh, purchase a, a broad spectrum of uh, securities, whether it's in the mortgage market, uh, corporate bond market, uh, and also these uh, additional lending facilities. So I think as we think about uh, political uh, outcomes here, uh, certainly uh, the Fed will be viewed favori- favorably post-crisis uh, when we're looking back to a second-quarter swoon in economic activity uh, that could rival some of the contractions we saw during the Great Depression, uh, an unemployment rate that's the highest uh, since the Great Depression, uh, yeah. and then an economy that comes out the backside of that uh actually functioning reasonably well with certainly casualties uh there will be bankruptcies and uh and, and businesses that are shuttered uh but come through that much more readily than the experience than prior experiences uh, where we saw that kind of economic dislocation
1: carl every economist who i've spoken with applauds what the Federal Reserve is doing right now saying that they're acting quickly and aggressively at a time of incredible stress that's affecting individuals uh, both on a health and a financial uh, in a financial manner that is unprecedented in many ways there is a question though going forward of the Federal Reserve's role and how they extricate themselves and when you say that they they, they buy broad markets one way they're trying to do that is with ETFs and I'm wondering how that changes the dynamic at a time when exchange traded funds at least in credit markets have taken on an outsized role and can be viewed as winning or losing based on what the Fed does?
2: Sure. If there's a big market and there's signs of strain, uh, the Fed is uh, absolutely stepping in to help uh, stabilize financial conditions. Uh, What we're seeing here, uh, we really shouldn't think of this as economic stimulus. Certainly the Fed has cut interest rates to zero uh, and all the measures they're taking should help to prop up uh, the economy uh, once the uh, lockdown ends. Uh, but what really what the Fed is doing here is financial market stabilization, right? So they're not picking winners and losers in industries or credit sectors or whatnot. Uh, they're looking at core components of the capital markets, the municipal market, uh, corporate uh, bonds, uh, also uh, small businesses uh, and whatnot. And they are stepping into stabilized conditions so that liquidity strains uh, don't become solvency strains uh, in, the, uh, in the longer run.
0: So, Carl, it's it's fairly clear, I think, that most observers that the U.S. economy right now is in a recession. How does Bloomberg Economics kind of map out the remainder of the year in terms of GDP?
2: Sure. So, well, you know, it, it, it's difficult to map out what the recovery looks like when you still can't see the bottom. Uh, and we don't know how far we're going to fall. So uh, until we see some signs of stabilization in the economy and those earliest indications will be something like the number of unemployment claim filings starting to recede. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet, right? Each week, we're seeing millions and millions, uh, six million filings uh, in, the, in the latest week uh, alone. So until we see jobless claims start to pull back, uh, then we don't really know how high the unemployment rate is going to go. So based on our projections, uh, we're about uh, 15 million uh, filings of jobless claims so far Uh, If we get to 20 million by the middle of April, so uh, with next week's data, uh, we're looking at an unemployment rate heading to about 15% uh, or potentially higher uh, in the second quarter. Uh, That kind of baseline expectations, how many workers were shut out of the economy, gives us some context to understand how deep the economic dive uh, will be in the quarter as well, right? It takes a certain number of workers to produce a certain amount right. of GDP. So if we know unemployment has gone from three and a half to 15, then we can wow. map out what that looks like for GDP.
0: Wow. Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist for Bloomberg Economics. Thanks so much for joining us. We always appreciate uh, your commentary and thoughts on uh Particularly today, the you know that we got the uh, jobless claims, lease and then the, this this really aggressive uh, move by the Fed. And I think looking back, as Carl suggested, you know we're going to look back and say on this f- and say the Federal Reserve really, really performed well. They were aggressive, uh, they were early, um, and they were consistent, um, and they really thought outside of the box here. So the Fed is certainly trying uh, its most to keep ahead of this.
1: Well, today's a historic day. I think that we all yeah. are going to look back on today as reaching a tipping point with the Federal Reserve absolutely solidifying its role at the forefront of trying to save the economy of the world's biggest economy, that yeah what we've that, seen. Yep. I mean, that, that to me, I feel like is a fair assessment of what we saw today.
0: I think you're right, Lisa. I think they were, you know, they've been... Uh, Early, I think, relatively speaking, relative to fiscal policy, certainly, uh, and they've certainly been aggressive here. And again, another $2.3 trillion package uh, today, really focusing on small and mid-sized businesses as well as state and local municipalities.
1: Yeah, it also raises some philosophical questions about the central bank to the world, which it increasingly has become. And when we talk philosophical questions, no one better to talk to them uh, <laughs> with than Barry Ritholtz, who is a Bloomberg Opinion contributor, as well as the co-founder of Ritholtz Wealth Management and, of course, uh, the host of Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. Barry, I want to talk about the Fed's rule here. Jay Powell kind of drawing the distinction between lending versus giving money saying Saying that they were a lender and the uh, congressional uh, leadership they were the givers and yet it does seem like congress moves just by nature of the body and by design slower than the fed can and the fed has taken the central role what are the consequences for the fed steps and the measures that we have seen so far
3: so let me just push back a tiny bit against your question because historically outside of the 0809 crisis we have seen Congress move quickly. They moved fairly quickly in the Great Depression. They moved fairly quickly, immediately after Pearl Harbor, after September 11th. So they can step up to the plate when necessary. They really were just AWOL in 08-09. And in fact... The biggest distinction between the 2020 crisis and the 08 crisis is that it is both monetary and fiscal in its response. And I think Jay Powell had it exactly right. The Fed is the central bank, bankers to other bankers, and they're there to make sure that the loans flow and that there's plenty of liquidity. If you're going to give money away or spend money, well, that's a decision that must come from Congress. So...
0: Barry, give us a sense of kind of how you think all this Fed action is really going to impact the markets. The markets, obviously, it's a risk on day. Today, we're seeing the equity markets uh, trade up in response uh, to the Fed move here. How do you think the, the the actions will really play out in the market over time?
3: So all my technical friends are looking at what's taking place as more or less a dead cat bounce. Hey, we'll bounce 50 60% of the lows, and that's when the uh, snapback rally will run out of steam, and then we'll either retest or or make new lows i understand how they feel that way i'm not a hundred percent in that camp because if we do you know just today pfizer came out with testing a new treatment for this if we can actually get to the point where we see the light at the end of the tunnel and the lockdown ends well the fed will have done their job congress will have done their job and we'll start moving towards a a more normal footing it's going to take a while but it's not all bleak, and there are signs that you know, there is a natural end to this crisis coming.
1: There has been a general feeling that the Federal Reserve has acted appropriately, given the magnitude of the shock uh, that we're seeing right now. Still, a lot of questions remain about how the Federal Reserve will extricate itself from this program, as well as how it chooses which exchange-traded funds to buy. We're seeing, for example, HYG, the biggest high-yield bond ETF in the United States, surge the most since October 2008 today. Are you concerned about questions of moral hazard and choosing winners and losers that will inevitably dog the Fed following this?
3: Sure. Always. And and in fact, you know, we don't even have to wait five years to look do a postmortem on this. There was no reason for the Fed to go to zero. It looked like they were panicking. They could have cut a half uh, half a point and, and left it there. It makes it that much more difficult to extricate themselves. I, I give Ben Bernanke high ratings for how he managed the period from 0809 he was he was way too accommodative beforehand and arguably stayed on emergency footing way too long it's very easy to um, show up at the party uh, with the punch bowl which is what the fed is doing it's much more challenging to take that punch bowl away we'll see if jay powell is at her, any better than janet yellen or ben bernanke at bringing rates Back to more normal levels. It's very, very difficult to do.
0: So, Barry, as you, as you kind of take a look at this marketplace here again, we've we've had a number of up days here. How are you really thinking about it here? Are you thinking that this is a a a real move, or it's just kind of a bounce within the context of of a bear market?
3: So, I I love to think in opposites. I love to stake out a position and then try and say, okay, what is the exact opposite position, and and might that be right? You know, the, the real optimistic perspective is this is an externality, this is a one-off event, and once we get through it, we'll go back to business as usual, and the prior bull market will resume its former trend, and the economy will will recover, and everything will be fine. You know, you historically, look at 1987. Not only was that 22% in a day, but peak to trough, it was more than 30%, and that uh, downdraft never derailed the economy or the bull market. So best case scenario, this is sort of like that. Worst case scenario, we're in a recession it lasts a long time. The drawdowns continue. This is a dead cat bounce and we make new lows below Dow 20,000 and maybe down to, I don't know, pick a number, 2000 on the S&P. Um, and it'll take a while to heal from this. The truth is, reality usually falls between either extreme. I doubt that this will all disappear once it's over, once we get a, a treatment and a vaccine. It's not all going to go away. There's a lot of damage uh, in the economy revealed by the collapse. And and I also doubt that this is a 70s-era, decade-long problem. This will take a couple of years to fully recover from, um But, you know, you're starting to see some positive signs of this peaking. We still have a lot of work to go, but it doesn't feel like this is going to last forever.
0: Barry Ritholtz, thanks so much for joining us. As always, Barry Ritholtz, founder of Ritholtz Wealth Management. He's also a Bloomberg Opinion columnist and host of Masters of Business podcasts.
1: As we talk about the Federal Reserve's uh, $2.3 trillion extra bailout money for credit markets and beyond, We have perhaps buried the lead, which is that 6.6 million individuals in the United States filed, or I guess were able to file for unemployment claims in the past week, bringing the total three-week claims figure to well above 15 million people, the jobless rate on track to exceed, well exceed 10% for the first time since the 1980s, leading to a question of just how bad is it and how quickly will some of these individuals be able to to get their jobs back. Joining us now, Hayden Brown, President and Chief Executive Officer of Upwork, based in Mountain View, California. Uh, which uh, Upwork is a job placement agency that focuses online, which is perfect for the environment that we're living in. We're all in our uh, on our screens and in our cyber worlds. Hayden, thank you so much for being with us. Do you have a sense of how quickly people are able to sort of reroute their skills, find jobs, say, in you know warehouses or other necessary roles? As as they wait this period of tumult out?
4: Certainly this is affecting different parts of the economy very differently. Uh, You mentioned work workers and warehouses and and those types of jobs, I think they're just getting pummeled and there's not a lot to do to move those online. But in other sectors of the economy where the work is more about knowledge work and digital work, uh, we're seeing clients and freelancers on our platform just moving rapidly to expand their remote work deployments and get more and more talent through online platforms like Upwork.
0: So interesting, Hayden, do you think this is the maybe accelerating a trend, which may have already been there, which is the, kind of the work from home type of situations and maybe expand to new industries, new functionalities? Is this something that you think will be a longer term trend when we come out on the other side of this?
4: Paul, I think you're right about that. This has definitely been a long-term trend where more and more workers have been demanding freedom and flexibility in how they work and, and really clamoring to get more of that. And employers have started to see some of the benefits. But the current crisis has no doubt accelerated massively people's adoption of both the tools and technology that enable remote work, as well as the cultural and behavioral things that people need to do to really collaborate successfully together remotely. So I think that those Uh, patterns of behavior will be here to stay and this is going to be a seismic shift that lasts uh, well beyond uh, the current crisis.
1: Hayden, what does the research show as far as the percentage of the workforce that can go online at this point?
4: You know, the numbers on that vary. But what we've seen in the U.S. already, uh, recently, MIT did a study where 30 percent of the workforce or more has moved from commuting to offices to online. And so I think there have been some myths where people felt like this is something that they potentially couldn't do. But we've seen, you know, more than an eightfold increase in people moving their work online in the last couple of weeks alone, which I think does indicate people are realizing there's a lot more they can do online than maybe what they previously thought.
0: So Hayden, you know, it's interesting here, you know, a lot of we got the jobs number, uh, jobless claims again this morning, you know, another staggering number, 6.6 million people that, you know, cumulatively about 16 or 17 million people over the last three weeks. What can recently downsized employees do to maybe try to secure a new job quickly, given all the uncertainty that's out there?
4: Yeah, I think one of the first things for people to focus on is making sure their skills are up to date. This is a great opportunity for reskilling or brushing up on knowledge of tools and technology that really are required both for the digital economy that just exists today as well as for working remotely. The second thing that people can do is coming onto online work platforms like Upwork, um, assembling a really detailed profile that showcases what they can do and examples uh, and testimonials from past clients or employers of, of how great their skills are. And then finally, I'd say as they reach out to prospective uh, future clients, really be tailored in how they approach those clients and, and address the specific needs that clients have outlined in a scope of work or a, a posting that they've made so that the uh, it's clear that the, the worker has really thought through and Is ready to commit to those specific needs of the client not just kind of is generally skilled in the area
1: taking a step back i'm wondering how much hiring there's actually going on right now given the fact that we talk so much about the actual jobless claims that are blowing all historical precedents out of the water
4: Yeah, I think it's really kind of two different stories out there today. You know, there are sectors of the economy that essentially are frozen and hiring and so much activity has come to a screeching halt. But then what we're seeing is a lot of businesses, they're just really working on business continuity and they still are... Uh, moving forward, they are hiring, they are trying to get work done, and they're just trying to figure out how to do it in this new context. And frankly, figuring out that a lot of the traditional ways that they were, for example, hiring traditional staff, uh, just aren't working in a world where we're, you know, sheltering in place, and, and the, the changes have been so rapid. And so I think a lot of businesses, there is light in the, at the at the end of the tunnel for them, but they're just having to adapt to new channels to find talented individuals uh, outside of kind of the normal ways that they've done that.
0: So Hayden, what is your sense? You know, we, we've seen these historic numbers as Lisa was just referencing. What is your sense of how this labor market might play out over the next, you know, year or so? It's obviously gonna be really ugly here. We're gonna get unemployment, you know, some numbers were suggesting today maybe as high as fifteen percent. How do you think it's gonna play out over time?
4: It definitely is hard to say where this is going to go, and we don't feel like we're at the bottom yet. So uh, it's going to be a rough couple of quarters. I think stepping back, some of the trends that we're watching are really around the freelancing trend in America, which has been a big trend on the rise. More than 57 million Americans were freelancing last year, contributing over a trillion dollars to the economy. So I think in this time of crisis, people are increasingly turning to alternatives uh, where they can drive income through freelancing, either part-time or full-time, trying to figure out how to make ends ends meet. And I I think we'll see that trend continue to be both accelerated by the crisis and kind of endure even after things start to recover.
1: It's interesting that that you talk about freelancers because people have been uh, talk about the gig economy and how people who are in that uh, area have suffered disproportionately because their income has been cut off that much faster. Do you expect it to actually come back online that much more quickly or perhaps even before the shutdowns end just because jobs are so much more fungible and flexible on in, in an online world?
4: Absolutely, Lisa. I think that people will realize that they need to be very cautious about a lot of their hiring and will look to freelancers as an alternative where they can get really skilled talent uh, and not have the same level of long-term commitment, frankly. Uh, And they're going to realize also that this is a great way that they can tap into skilled people that actually are not in their own backyards. And they can find freelancers across the country, across the globe, who can help fill a lot of the skills gap that they have been facing even before this crisis and certainly is going to continue to increase. as they work to uh, evolve into even more digitally-oriented businesses uh, and workplaces. So I think that the freelancing trend is definitely going to continue to accelerate and will rebound even more quickly once the recovery starts happening.
0: Hayden, where just give us a sense of where corporate America is in terms of working from home. I know, you know, certain companies really embrace it, a lot of other companies not so much. Kind of where do you think we are and how do you think that's going to play out given what we're experiencing right, right here?
4: I think what we're seeing from our customers is everyone is scrambling to figure out how they can obviously work from home more successfully. And we're trying to help them because we've been actually doing work from home for 20 years inside of our own company, uh, as well as running the largest online platform that lets people work from home. So uh, clients are reaching out to us right now and asking questions about how they can expand uh, the types of work that gets done working from home, even if they had previously, you know, smaller populations of employees or freelancers doing this kind of model. And so with that appetite, and with, I think, a lot of thoughts to business continuity, even outside of this specific crisis. A lot of the companies are talking to us about how do we create more of these flexible talent benches that help us maintain continuity, even in situations where people have to work from home in mass. And that's, I think, going to be something they care about, again, well after this current crisis passes.
0: Hayden Brown, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate uh, your thoughts on this whole working from home concept, which is now being embraced by many, many U.S. workers. Hayden Brown, she's the CEO of Upwork, giving us her thoughts on kind of some of those jobless numbers, Lisa, and this growing, growing uh, prevalence of people working from home. And now it's being forced on a lot of people. It's being forced on a lot of uh, companies. And I think everybody's trying to adapt and is trying to optimize the situation. Well, as we've been talking about, the Federal Reserve stepped up once again with a very aggressive uh, financing package, a liquidity package for the Marketplace 2.3. Trillion dollars. We can't say the same about Congress. As Congress goes back and forth on a another fiscal stimulus plan, back and forth, the Democrats and Republicans really at odds today, not able to move that forward. Uh, To get the latest, we welcome Billy House. He's a congressional reporter for Bloomberg News. So, Billy, what's the latest on this latest round? Is it 250 billion? Is it 500 billion? Where are we?
5: Well, it just happened in the last half hour that the Senate uh, could not come an agreement on which one to do. Uh, Democrats would not go along with uh, expedited approval of uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader's uh, $250 billion version. That's reflective of Treasury Secretary Mnuchin's proposal. Instead, Democrats want twice as much. They want more money uh, for Uh, added additional aid for state and local governments and hospitals and other matters, not just small businesses.
1: Billy, taking a step back, we've been talking a lot about the federal reserve's response and some people have been drawing parallels or perhaps contrasts with Congress and how they've acted and how they've been a lot slower. What's the sort of consensus on whether they've acted quickly or whether they've been behind the eight ball? Well,
5: I mean, when you look back two weeks ago at the uh, the massive $2 trillion stimulus bill, you'd have to give them, I guess, credit for acting swiftly on that, even though in in just a matter of days from it being proposed to pass by both chambers and then signed by the president. There were some wrinkles in between, but that was very swift, and that was within a week. Uh they then pivoted to winning a larger infrastructure package, but then realized they needed this added stimulus boost for small businesses and were to do something quickly on that. But now they've hit this wrinkle and it appears that nothing's going to be resolved till next week. So I got, you got to give them mixed marks. At the same time, the fed today may
0: have given them a little breathing room with the actions they took on helping small businesses. So Billy is, is the sense that, you know, it really is just a question of 250 versus 500, or is there other issues involved there as well?
5: Oh, uh, There's uh, issues on how that aid would actually work within the programs. For, instances, uh, for instance, uh, Democrats want more tailored uh, directives to uh, minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, uh, and in their bill, they would actually classify farms also as a small business. That had been uh uncertain. So I mean, there are more distinct directives within the language in the Democratic bill than in the Republican bill.
1: Billy, there's also a question about the existing legislation that you mentioned that's been passed, the $2 trillion bill. A lot of people did say they moved quickly. However, there have been a series of stories throughout a variety of different news channels talking about the kinks in the system, the fact that banks have been reluctant to lend out to companies they don't have prior relationships with or uh, without more or better guidance as far as how to get those loans backstopped. What's the latest in rolling that out?
5: And that's that's exactly what the Democrats were saying on the Senate floor today. There were a couple of mo- most of
0: the lawmakers in Washington are not in town. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney.
1: I'm Lisa Abramowitz. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz one before the podcast. You can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.